Hi, friends. Welcome back to Sorta Awesome. I'm your host, Meg Teets. I am so happy to be joined today, as I'm always happy when this person is sitting across the miles, but screen to screen with me, my very dear friend and longtime co-host and creator of SimplyRebecca.com, Rebecca Hoffer. Hi, Rebecca. Well, hello. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. (laughs) We always have fun. When we are on microphone together, it does not feel like there are miles and miles and miles separating us. I hope that the awesomes feel the same way. And I know they do, especially when we get to hear from you. We have a topic today that we have definitely talked about on microphone together, but rarely for the main sort of awesome feed. Most of our conversations around marriage, sex, and intimacy, we've kept them private, haven't we, Rebecca? (laughs) Yeah. So like, why are we here? How did I, how did I land us here? (laughs) Yes. Most of the time when we've covered, like I said, marriage, sex, intimacy, sexuality, those things, we've been over on the Patreon feed. And if you're a superstar awesome, who's listening right now, you're probably recounting in your mind some of the fun episodes we've had over there talking about these things. But Rebecca, you read a book that was so compelling that you were like, I feel a little nervous, but I think we got to talk about this. Tell us the name of the book before we even get into it. Yes. So the book is called The Great Sex Rescue. It is by Sheila Ray Gregory, and it's also co-authored by Rebecca Gregory, Lindenbach, and Joanna Swatsky. And I was just blown away by this book. I think many of the awesomes are probably familiar with Sheila. She has been doing some extraordinary work online through her blog and through her Instagram profile, and through this book and her follow-up book. And this was definitely one of the best books that I have read this year in terms of making me think, making me analyze, you know, things Mm. that I've been taught, and really, truthfully, like diving into what was I taught as a young bride and a young woman about how sex in marriage should look and what I should expect and what kind of ramifications were there for that teaching. Yes, absolutely. Spoiler alert, it wasn't good. (laughs) (laughs) So Rebecca and I are going to be talking about some of the themes that are covered specifically in this book. So we do kind of want to give you a heads up. We were just talking before we hit record. A little heads up that today's content for here on the main sort of awesome feed. Like you were saying, maybe we want to put our earbuds in or just, you know, listen during a time when we have private time to listen where little ears maybe, or, you know, office mates aren't listening in, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, this conversation is going to be about sex and the messaging that many of us heard growing up in evangelical Christian communities and how sex and marriage should work. And we're going to be focusing on heteronormative relationships between husbands and wives and analyzing the potential damage done to these specific relationships. So due to the nature of this conversation, earbuds in probably. And, you know, lastly, as the Sword Awesome team, you know, we always have the highest respect for therapy and we encourage anyone triggered by parts of this conversation to seek a therapist to help you process further. Wow, that was perfectly said. Thank you for that. We are going to be talking about all of those things that Rebecca just covered. And of course, we've got our awesome of the week. So stick around for that. We've got all of that coming up today on Sorta Awesome. Welcome back, awesome, to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. If you have been looking for a community of women who are going to come along beside you and support you, no matter what age or stage of life you are in, I'm so happy to tell you that you found it. You're here. It's sort of awesome. We are so happy that you are here. We love for you to push play every week on the podcast, and we would love it even more If you would join us in one of our social media communities, come and find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show, doing all kinds of fun stuff to bring a little awesome to your Instagram feed. 
And we would really love to have you in our sort of awesome hangout group, the heart of our community, especially as we take this turn into the holiday season. We would super love to have you join us over there so we can answer your questions about what you should buy for your 17-year-old nephew who only ever wants to ask for gift cards at the holidays or what to buy for your father-in-law, the man who has everything and everything in between, how to host a beautiful holiday dinner, where to travel if you're escaping for the holidays. If you have a question, we have recommendations for you in our community. And you can just search Sort of Awesome Hangout on Facebook and find us there. So, all right, Rebecca, we've got so much to cover today and just so many just interesting perspectives and things to ponder and think about. But before we get to the meat of the conversation, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. If you're new to Sort of Awesome, Awesome of the Week is the moment of the show where we stop and talk about whatever's making life just a little more awesome right now. It could be a book or a TV show, maybe music, movie, a product, an app, a recipe, something that's bringing that extra gold sparkle to our days. Rebecca, what do you have for us this week? So back on episode 459, which was not that long ago, we were talking about when was the last or what was the last fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And one of the prompts from that episode was, what was the last thing you purchased on Amazon? And I mentioned the Latuza pajama pants. And yes. I love them so much. I had to bring them as an awesome of the week. Like okay. they need to have that label stamped on them. They are so good. I am so thankful that I have them. So if you missed that episode... The Latuza pajama pants, they are a bamboo and spandex blend. They are super soft and thin. The thing that I like about them is that they are like thin enough that I can see myself wearing them all year long. So yes. when we have the air conditioner going in the summer and we're feeling, you know, it's hot outside, but I still kind of want some coverage on my legs a little bit. They're good for that. They're not going to be overly hot. But then they're still going to be like super soft and cozy for the winter time. It's the kind of material that is really soft on the outside and on the inside. I do not understand <laughs> why we are making pants and fabric that feels one way buttery smooth and soft on the outside. But then sometimes the inside just doesn't live right. up to that. How what? and why, why are we doing that? No, no, that's a big unsubscribe for sure. So these are not like that. They are super soft inside and outside. They have pockets so you can carry your phone around with you. Okay. And the thing that I like the best that you found quite controversial in the previous episode. Oh, no. Is that they are gathered at the ankle, which is something specific I was looking for. Yes. With these pants. Yes. So that I can kind of tuck my feet inside a little bit if they are getting a little cold at night and I just want a little bit of foot coverage. You know, I'm not wearing socks, but I'm kind of wishing I should be having socks on. Instead, I can just kind of like tuck my feet inside with the little ankle gathering. No, this you hate it just as much today. <laughs> now I'm not having the visceral reaction that I did when you first said this. I've gotten used to the idea. It does still make me giggle, though. So I still will not be putting anything on my feet to sleep at night. I had a pair of pajama pants that I had for so long that had like a gathered ankle that I did that little like foot tuck thing in like all the time. I love them so much. I wore them until they were literally falling apart. <laughs> I couldn't bear to even try to replace them. Right. I mean, I was like analyzing the tag, trying to figure out what brand it was. And the tag is like completely worn. And there was like zero chance I could even like make out anything that said on the mm, tag. But yeah. I loved that design so much. I just felt like I'm going to have to wear these until they're 50 years old. <laughs> but my good friend Donna <laughs> found the Latuza pajama pants for me. And she said, Rebecca, I think I found a solution to your falling apart pajama pants. Try these. And they are definitely a winner. They come in sizes small to 4X, and they're Great. about $25 on Amazon. I Perfect. mean, worth trying out. I love them so much. 
absolutely perfect. And it's the perfect time of year. I personally like to sleep in sleep shorts and a t-shirt during the summer when it's warm. And then there is that kind of in-between time before you get your heavy duty, warm, Mm -hmm. insulating pajamas out, right? This is perfect for that little in-between time, it sounds like. So I'm into it. And plus they're gathered at the ankle, like how many (laughs) grown-up pajama pants are. I love it. (laughs) So fun. So fun. Okay. Well, I brought something. As this show drops, it will be Halloween weekend. And so I brought something a little spooky for us, Rebecca. Oh, dear. It's not only spooky. I don't love spooky. (laughs) Oh, okay. This is, (laughs) hmm. I was going to say it's gently spooky, but no, there's some parts of this that are actually kind of higher on the spooky scale. Okay. So this is on YouTube and you and I, we both love YouTube. Are you familiar with, has the channel Sam and Colby ever come across your YouTube homepage, across your YouTube radar? I don't think so. Okay. And that doesn't surprise me. I only know about Sam and Colby because my 16-year-old daughter, AJ, is a huge mega fan of Sam and Colby. They're two young men. They're like in their mid-20s. They've been doing YouTube together for like five or six years. So they are not Mm, new on the scene. mm -hmm. And they used to, when they very first started the channel, they used to just do like explorations together. They're like in their late teens and early 20s. There are two guys and they would just go do stuff. And that was their channel. Over time, over the years, they took a turn into doing paranormal Ugh. videos on YouTube. So they these are the okay. kids. I, I say kids. They are fully grown men. <laughs> okay. They're in their mid-20s. They are the ones going out with all of the paranormal equipment, ghost hunting equipment into haunted spaces, filming it, sharing it with their audience. Now, AJ and I love to watch this stuff. This is our jam. This is one of the places where our interests are a complete Venn diagram. It's just a circle on the Venn diagram. Like we both love paranormal stuff. We love ghost hunter stuff. So we've been watching together for a while, or she would watch one and be like, oh, you should watch this. It's good. Or we would watch it together. So they've had all this buildup because Rebecca, they went, Sam and Colby went to the original Conjuring House. Have you ever heard of the Conjuring House? No, but in all fairness, I wouldn't. Like, I avoid this You would stuff. reject like, it. You no, would put no. a force field around your ears so you would never I'm hear of I'm already this. hardly listening to you at all. Like, I've already, like, blocked you out a little bit. You said paranormal, and I was out. Ghost hunters? No. Uh-uh. No. I'm so sad. Oh, it freaks me out so much. I would rather die than ever encounter a ghost. And the idea read. that it could <sighs> actually happen, I mean, it sends me in a tailspin. I could not. I'm done. No. I can't read. But you I'm know, I love this having for you. an attack of some kind. <laughs> I was so proud of myself because I was like, look, that's a thing on YouTube. Rebecca's gonna love this. I know. It's, it's perfectly I will tied be for a cheerleader for the wonders of YouTube and like the production and like all the things. Like I am here for the YouTube culture, but I would rather die. <laughs> I don't know how I'm gonna get through the rest of this. I can't breathe. Uh, okay. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> oh my god, my mascara is like running everywhere. Oh my. Okay. So the Conjuring House is an actual home in Rhode Island. And it's like the most haunted house in the United States. And years ago, Sam and Colby went and they had like a lot of paranormal experiences, but they haven't been back. They've been doing all these other haunted spaces. So they did this whole thing where they spent a week, a week at the Conjuring House and they filmed it all. And they decided this is the part, the YouTube culture part that I know you'll understand. They're like, we have a week's worth of footage at the Conjuring House, but we're not going to release it until we get 10 million subscribers. <laughs> so it was this big <laughs> subscriber push. Well, they did it. They made it to 10 million subscribers. So they launched the first episode and they do this every October. They have what they call Hell Week in the week leading up to Sounds like Halloween. <laughs> leading up to Halloween, they release a lot like back to back to back episodes. So they saved the Conjuring House. Okay, that was so much background for what I want to tell you. The first episode of the Conjuring House week 
just dropped yesterday as we record. So October 22nd is when it dropped. Now, AJ and I, we tucked in with our snacks. We were so excited. We've been waiting and waiting. They even released this week that they're doing on YouTube as a week's worth of content. They released the full length thing in select theaters across the U.S. Unfortunately, not Oklahoma City, or we would have been there watching it in a theater. But so we get all tucked in. We're ready for scary. We're ready for spooky. And the first part is very satisfyingly spooky. But then, Rebecca... Something happens. There's two mediums. They don't call themselves mediums, but what they can do is what mediums do, which is talk to the dead, communicate with the dead that work for the conjuring house. And they have this special thing that they just stumbled into realizing that when these two people, it's a man and woman, when they stand facing each other and put their arms on each other's arms, kind of like in front of them, like overlap their arms like this. Uh huh. Uh huh. That they can communicate with spirits via knocking. Now, I know some of you are listening, like, okay, right, that checks out. That sounds legit. But probably most of you are like, what? (laughs) Do what? That doesn't make sense. Let me just tell you if you are unlike Rebecca and you like to be a little bit spooked and get just the full body chills because of something completely unexplainable happening. You guys have to go watch this first episode. It's the only part of their coverage of The Conjuring House I've seen so far. But Rebecca, I will say it supersedes spooky and scary for anybody who is fascinated by contemplating what happens in the afterlife and how, quote unquote, ghosts play into that spirits, communication with people that you love who have passed away. These mediums are able to connect with spirits in a way that is so personal to Sam and Colby. That it is shocking. AJ and I were both in tears, like not scared tears, like actual emotional moved tears. We both had chills. It's so good. It also reminds me of an episode of my one of my favorite podcasts, Otherworld, the very first one I talked about, which is called episode five, The Messenger, where he talks to a person who also gets messages from the other side. I'm going to link to that in the show notes again and link to the Sam and Colby video. I don't know if anybody will actually go watch it, but I can't stop thinking about it. It's been a day since we watched it, and I just keep thinking about it. There are scary parts to this video, but ultimately what they discover is so good and powerful and just like universal human experience. And I loved it. And it was so awesome. (laughs) Well, okay. No, I'm out. I hate it. But, you know, not everybody feels the way that I do. And this is going to really fit a need. There are people specifically wanting something to spook them this Halloween season. Oh, yes. This is very timely. Yes. You are doing a service. I applaud you. You are leaning into what you love. I will cheerlead that so much. (laughs) Just. But you're not going to watch it. I need a sprinkling of holy water. (laughs) <laughs> as quickly as possible. <laughs> if I like edit it down to like a two minute clip, would you watch it? <sighs> okay. Think about it. You can tell me later. Because I love you. I did listen to that podcast that you. Oh, messenger. I did listen. You to did. It. I did. Oh my gosh, that means so much. I love you. Thank yes, you. I did. Oh, I, I feel so known in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I liked it, but I listened. <laughs> Speaking of Otherworld, they also do have a series going right now for the Halloween season called Many Things. It's a multi-part series about a very, very scarily haunted house. So if you like that kind of thing, it's fresh in the Otherworld feed right now as well. Okay, enough spooky. We have serious stuff to talk about today. I'm going to try to get a hold of myself. But as a reminder, Awesomes of the Week, we will have links in the show notes. We want to hear what's awesome in your life. Come and find us on social media at Sorta Awesome Show on Instagram or in the Hangout group where we talk about Awesome of the Week every Friday and share what's awesome in your life. We would love to hear more about it. Rebecca and I are going to get into the great sex rescue when we come right back. Hey friends, if there's one thing that's true about me, you know I do love a skincare product, but even I get a little overwhelmed with 10-step skincare routines and all of the product trends everywhere you're looking. And that's why I am so thankful that support for today's episode comes from OneSkin. OneSkin was founded by a team of four 
female longevity scientist with over 15 years of experience studying the biology of aging. So here's the deal. After testing over 900 different kinds of peptides, the OneSkin team discovered OS1. The OS1 peptide is scientifically proven to target aged senescent cells. These are the main source of skin aging. And OS1 actually reduces the biological age of skin by several years. Amazing. Their flagship product, OS1 Face, is clinically validated to improve firmness, fine lines, and overall tone and appearance. Now, like I said, I love skincare products and I have tried a lot. Many of them say, oh, this will definitely work if you give it time. Listen, most of us don't have a lot of time when we're trying out a new product. We want to see results right away. And that was one of the things that I was blown away with when it comes to my OneSkin face serum and especially the eye serum. In just a few uses, I was seeing huge results, big changes in my skin. And that's no surprise because OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. OneSkin addresses skin health at the molecular level, targeting the root causes of aging so that skin behaves, feels, and appears appears younger. It is time to get started with your new face, eye, and body routine at a discounted rate today. Again, get 15% off with the code SORTA at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code SORTA. We only have one body, one skin, and only you can choose to make it better. Age healthy with OneSkin. Okay, we are back. And today, Rebecca and I are talking about some issues that are really important and really relevant to the topic of sex, marriage, and intimacy. As Rebecca mentioned at the top of the show, this is particularly relevant for those of us who grew up in evangelical Christianity or some faith system that's kind of adjacent to that, particularly in the heart of the purity culture movement that really took off in the 90s and continued on into the early 2000s and probably still has a hold in some places. So many women who have grown up in especially faith-based places may be familiar with some of the things that we're going to talk about today. So we're talking about The Great Sex Rescue. Rebecca, how did this book come across your radar? Because I know that, you know, you do a lot of reading, but maybe not necessarily a lot of a lot of nonfiction reading. I'm so curious how this book even landed in your hands. Okay. So, you know, I'm trying to read more this mm-hmm. year than I ever have before. And one way that I'm doing that is audiobooks. And by reading audiobooks, I feel like I'm opening myself up to other genres that I don't normally tap into because it's easier for me to read an audio versus sitting down and reading with a paper book. And so I've been reading more nonfiction, and I also have been reading more books by authors that I am familiar with, either because they were on a TV show that I like, or there are like a podcast host that I'm familiar with. Well, this book was written by Sheila, who has an Instagram account that I have been following for a while now. So I decided, you know, I'll check out her book and see if I can get her book on audio. Yeah. So on her Instagram account, she takes advice, marriage advice and sex advice that is commonly thrown out there and then corrects it. She goes in like with her red marker, red oh, how pen, fun. and yes. crosses out the bad advice and is like, let me fix that for you. And I find her account so fascinating. So I was excited to just explore the book. I yeah. had no idea the type of emotional reaction that I would end up having to this book. Oh, wow. It was so incredibly powerful. So. Let's just take a moment, though, and talk about, so what is the book? What is the point of the book? What's the messaging of the book? And what is the research that went into the book? Yes. Sheila has been writing about sex and marriage for years and years and years on her website. And one thing that she states in her book is that she always avoided reading other marriage books and other sex advice books because she wanted to kind of like protect her mind. Oh, sure. In a way that authors sometimes do. You don't want yes. to accidentally plagiarize somebody else. You don't want to take on somebody else's thoughts and opinions. Exactly. And claim them as your own, even unintentionally. And then she received some information about a book that contains some advice that she was like, wait a second, that is really harmful. That is the kind of 
advice that is in some of these books that is out there. And so what she decided to do is to read and deep dive the top Christian books that are on the market today and analyze what they're saying and figure out, are they helpful or are they harmful? What messages are actually being put out there? Yeah. So to do this, they made a rubric of 12 elements of healthy sexuality. And for the sake of time, we're going to only highlight what six of those are to help us set the stage for the kind of conversations that we're trying to push against. Mm -hmm. So from the category of infidelity and lust, she questioned, does the book acknowledge that the blame for a husband's affair or porn use lies at the feet of the husband, or does it at least in part blame the wife? Interesting. Secondly, Mm -hmm. does the book frame lust as something both spouses may struggle with, even if men tend to struggle more, or does it state that since all men struggle with lust, it can't be defeated, and the only way to combat lust is for women to have sex more and dress modestly? Wow. Okay. That's really to the point. I feel slightly triggered just by these questions. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's been so long since these books were anything that I reached for that I genuinely am like, okay, I haven't thought about things in this way in literally decades. I can see why you were like, can't stop talking about this book, honestly. Yes. Okay. So from the section of pleasure and libido, Meg, yeah. tell us what are the some of the measurements that they were using? Okay. So again, pleasure and libido. One question is, does the book acknowledge women's orgasm and women's enjoyment of the physical aspects of sex? Or does it imply that most or all women do not enjoy sex? Second question being, does the book describe men's sexual appetite as healthy, but also containable and controllable? Or are men's sexual needs portrayed as ravenous, insatiable, and constant? And then from the section of mutuality, does the book discuss the importance of foreplay and a husband's role in his wife's pleasure? Or does the book ignore a husband's responsibility to help his wife feel pleasure? And second, does the book include reasons why a woman may legitimately say, not tonight, honey, and discuss the concept of marital rape? Or does the book say that a woman refusing sex is sin or fail to recognize rape within its antidotes? So again, these are just six of the metrics that they were using when looking at the top rated Christian marriage and sex advice books. You know, there were six more that they were listed in the book, but these are just the ones that I pulled out just to help us set the stage here. Yeah. So in doing that research, they were able to identify which of the top rated books were actually helpful, which scored a more neutral measurement, and which are legitimately harmful. So to help the awesomes, we are going to have links in the show notes to all of those categories and the books so that when you are looking for a faith-based book to help you with marriage and sex, where should you be looking? So we'll have those all listed in the show notes. But we also are going to take a moment right here and now, and Meg is going to share with us the books that were listed the most harmful, because we want you to be aware. And there's the possibility that as we're having these conversations and we were listing off these books, it's going to trigger something in you of a memory of, oh... I hear about that book a lot in my church community, or we did a Bible study on that book, or I have that book on my shelf right now. And so we're not going to hide from that. We want you to, you know, have that information right up front. So Meg, in order of least harmful to most harmful, what are the books that Sheila and her team identified that we should probably be avoiding? Okay, this is the harmful books list according to the rubrics that Sheila and I'm guessing also her team maybe put together. These are the harmful ones, guys. Sheet Music by Kevin Lehman. The Act of Marriage by Tim and Beverly LaHaye. His Needs, Her Needs by Willard F. Harley Jr. The Power of a Praying Wife by 
Stormy Omarshan. Is that how you say it? Sure. I gave you this job on purpose. <laughs> I, didn't have to <laughs> I thought I would names. be on YouTube, like researching the, how to say these names, but I didn't. I'm going by memory alone. Okay. So The Power of the Praying Wife, Stormy O'Martian, For Women Only by Shanti Felden, Every Man's Battle by Stephen Arterburn and Fred Stoker. Going to take a guess on that one. And finally, at the very bottom of the list. So this would mean then, Rebecca, like you said, the most harmful Love and Respect by Emerson Egrix. So after analyzing these books and the potential harmful messaging that is being put out there, Sheila also went and surveyed over 20,000 women and what they 20,000? That's <laughs> huge. Yeah. 20,000? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I had they... to have a brief meltdown. <laughs> sorry for your earbuds, everybody. It's okay. They surveyed 20,000 women, over 20,000 in the Bear Marriage Project. And they asked about their sex lives, their marriages, their beliefs about sex and marriage, and what kind of exposure they had to this type of messaging, this potentially harmful messaging. And how did it actually impact them as married women and their sex lives? Their okay. survey had over 130 questions at a minimum and that would change depending on how you answered questions. You might have to answer more. Goodness. Okay. So this book is heavily research-based. Mm -hmm. Lots of statistics, lots of really helpful analysis. But Meg, initially right here off the bat, yeah, yeah, yeah. what are some of your initial thoughts, feelings, and like personal experience perhaps with any of these books? Okay, I'm looking at this list just of the harmful ones because I don't even know what's on the good ones. Let me say this. Of those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I fully have read five of those seven. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that was going to be the case wow. <laughs> when we sat down to talk about this. So for context, longtime awesomes may know, my husband Kyle and I have been married for 25 years. We got married the summer before our senior year of college. We were college sweethearts. So we've been together for a very long time. We both grew up in Oklahoma in the evangelical branch of Christianity, deeply enmeshed in purity culture. Like, I think when Kelly and I had our conversation about purity culture over on Patreon, I think Kelly was saying as somebody, she's five years older than me, like she was kind of like graduating out of youth group and youth group culture by the time like the true love weights movement was coming in, but it was like peak high school for me, like so formative in my understanding of sex, sexuality, male sexuality, female sexuality. Certainly I think it goes without saying that heteronormativity was baked into all of that. This completely shaped everything I understood to be true about sex. And then therefore about what sex would look like as a married woman. And something that we've talked about, I think Kelly and I talked about on that, and certainly the dozens of conversations I've had with friends who also grew up and really their whole worldview about sex was shaped by this, is talking about like there was so much instruction given about avoiding sex and like shutting down those sexual feelings and desire and all of those types of things. But by the time we got married, many of us did not know what to do with ourselves as married people who now, according to the church and the teaching that we grew up in, were free to have as much sex all the time as we wanted. But like we had very little guidance in that. And so a lot of these books I recognize as coming out during that time. It was like, I mean, I don't want to say this in a too skeptical of a way, but almost like capitalizing on the fact that now you have thousands and thousands of young Christians who are newlyweds who don't know what to do with their sex lives. And especially the women are turning to books by trusted authors, by trusted Christian authors. I remember specifically from this list, I had the book for women only. My mother-in-law gave it to me. And I remember this is like even past the newlywed phase for us, because I'm pretty sure this was when Daisy was a newborn. So we're talking like early, mid 2000s. Daisy was born in 2005. I remember highlighting that book, marking it with a pen. It was like so instructive and spoke to me where I was in such a strong way during that time. 
Now, fast forward a few years down the road, I began to explore different practices of Christianity and had some new perspectives and new beliefs. And by the time I read Love and Respect, I now had two children and they were older and Kylan had been married for over 10 years. I remember reading that book and just getting the absolute ick from it. Mm. I cannot even remember that much about it. I genuinely can't. I don't know if I've like suppressed it in my memory, but I do remember coming away from that book just feeling awful and just not even being able to pinpoint what it was. To this day, I can't even sit here and tell you. But I do remember having a really negative experience in reading that book. And we actually read it as part of a church, like a small group. Was it a small group or maybe the pastor even preached from the book? I can't remember. But it was definitely in the context of church, like as a group experience of that book and just feeling so icked out by it. That's my experience with some of this. Like I said, I'm feeling like mildly triggered, but I'm going to try to keep it under control so we can have this conversation. (laughs) How about you, though? Well, I had a similar upbringing and experience with purity culture as you probably did. I graduated in the year 2000. And in 1996, I signed a True Love Waits purity pledge. And I was like, all in. Definitely understood the benefits to choosing to wait for marriage. And it was something that I was proud to do and thankful to do. And Nate and I both got married as virgins. And then, you know, I think that within our marriage relationship, we've had some ups and downs when it comes to our sexual relationship. Reading this book now, I'm like, okay, I can see how we could have been set up for success better. Mm. Like, I don't know that I would go back and like change time and not have waited. But I can see how some of this messaging was seeping in, even mm. if I wasn't like fully on board. Does that make sense? Yes. So I own the book Sheet Music. Certainly okay. was a gift. I mm-hmm. never would purchase a nonfiction book all on my own, <laughs> hardly ever. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And I also, the name Love and Respect sounded so familiar to me. And I thought to myself, surely I have been exposed to this teaching. And I checked with Nate and I said, do you remember us like specifically learning from this book, Love and Respect, like either from the pulpit or in small group? And he reminded me that as a young married couple within like one of the first years of marriage, we went through a video series of love and respect with our small group. Okay. And now, oh, that makes me like cringe so much. (laughs) But I will say that I think I've always kind of been like a little bit contrary when it comes to Mm. gender norms and like Mm -hmm. expectations. Yeah. Even the idea that my husband is requiring like the utmost of respect and I just want the utmost of love Mm -hmm. and not like recognizing the nuance of that need actually needing to go both ways for both of us. Right, 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 right. I, in my personality, would have been like pushing against a little bit, Mm -hmm. like even back then. Yes. But I will tell you that when I finished reading this book, I completely burst into tears. Like I just started crying and it wasn't even necessarily for me, but it was for all of the women that Sheila interviewed. It was for all of the women who she mentioned the stories, the case studies within the book. It was for every woman who has internalized some of Mm. this messaging that just is not helpful And is still like within the bondage of that harmful messaging. You know, I was joking with you in prepping for the episode that I kind of felt like this episode is a little bit like what happens when purity culture kids get married. Yeah. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. part two. Yes. It's not great. Like it's really not great. And I don't know what it looks like to do better now, but my understanding is that Sheila's second book is actually addressing that. Like, okay, so how do we do better? Okay. Now that we know better, how do we do better? So there is hope. But as I was thinking about the book and thinking about those women and thinking constantly about the awesomes, 
I walked away with two concepts from within the book that I just really wanted to share with the awesomes. Two things I wanted to analyze, push against, and press into the hearts of the awesomes as they are listening to this episode. So I certainly cannot do justice to Sheila's words. The pressure I feel right now is actually pretty great. And so I would encourage anybody listening who feels like any of this resonates with them to read her words because I am just her humble messenger (laughs) whom she has not met, hoping to instill just a little pocket of her wisdom and her advice to each of you. And we'll do that after this break. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I love it. That's a great toss to commercial. (laughs) Okay, we are back. And as Rebecca was saying before we took a break, truly some of our really most engaging conversations that we've had, not just on microphone, but with our communities have been inspired by books, by the work that authors have put into them and how they've inspired us. And there is something about a great book that you just can't stop talking about that's actually life-changing to you as a reader and to the people that you're talking about. So Rebecca, again, there's no pressure for you to represent this book to the awesomes (laughs) because all of us can go forth and pick up a copy and read it ourselves if we so choose. But I'm so thankful that from your very, very obvious passion for this message and how much this impacted you, that you did kind of go through what Sheila covers in this book and pulled out a couple of points that you really want to emphasize for us as we contemplate, okay, like what are we even talking about when we are talking about the impact that these messages that we either found in books or like you said, video series or from the pulpit, how is this impacting our day-to-day lives and our actual marriages? So what's the first point you wanted to address? Okay, so my very first point is that you are not the cure for your husband's sin. So we heard this messaging even before we got married, right? In the heart of purity culture, the one key phrase that we heard so often was, modest Mm -hmm. is hottest. Wait, what is it? Modest is hottest. Yes. Yes. I'm familiar. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the general vibe was that women girls held a huge responsibility in how they dressed because men could not control their lustful thoughts. And I would like to say this simply is not true and it is disrespectful to men to assume so little yes. of them. True. I never thought about it until I was a fully grown adult with so much lived experience that to be like, that is so disempowering. To have that view of men. And like you said, so disrespectful, like wild message to put out there, especially, (laughs) especially to teenagers. Men are capable of ruling the world, going to war, but they will be taken down by a spaghetti strap. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) yes, clearly by the devil's spaghetti straps. (laughs) Okay, so to contrast this, right, the truth, though, is that, first of all, anyone is capable of lust. It's not just men. And secondly, there is a difference between noticing someone's body, finding it attractive, and engaging in lustful thoughts. Lust is a choice regardless of how the other person is dressed. And the what was she wearing mentality is such a disturbing question often asked to place blame for sexual assault on the victim. Yes. So to reframe this issue of lust, instead of saying, don't dress in a way that could be a stumbling block to your brothers in Christ, how much can we get into the Christianese here? Do I need to provide a translation? (laughs) I think the people who are listening at this point, they're tracking with you. (laughs) Okay. Although there probably are some awesomes that are like, what now? (laughs) No, keep going. So instead of saying, don't dress in a way that could be a stumbling block for your brothers in Christ, say, you have a responsibility to treat others with respect, regardless of what they wear. Mm-hmm. Take yeah. every thought captive to Christ, and you cannot be forced to sin by another's clothing, sin as a choice. And what I want the awesomes to hear specifically about this 
is that if you have been the victim of sexual harassment or of assault, you are a victim. You didn't ask for it. You're not responsible for someone else's sins or crimes against you. Yeah. And so along with victim blaming with lust, we've heard the same message when it comes to infidelity and porn use in marriage, implying that if women have enough sex with their husbands, it will prevent them from looking outside the marriage. Mm -hmm. So specifically, here is how Kevin Lehman in Cheat Music portrays a porn affected marriage. He said, the most difficult time for this man was during his wife's period because she was unavailable to him sexually. Hold on. I just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Okay. Keep going. I'm going to disassociate for a minute while you read this. <laughs> Did I mention that I felt like I was dealing with some anger issues as I was reading this book? Like it actually <laughs> yes, you did mention me in it. a bad yes. mood? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is it becoming clear now why? Okay. (laughs) After about 10 years, she finally realized that pleasing her husband with oral sex or a simple hand job did wonders to help her husband through that difficult time. (laughs) She realized. (laughs) Through his difficult time. Yes. Good. Yes. Of her period. (laughs) She realized that faithfulness is a two-person job. That doesn't mean a husband can escape the blame for using pornography by pointing to an uncooperative wife. We all make our own choices, but a wife can make it much easier for her husband to maintain a pure mind. And then another example, the book Love and Respect says, the cold and hard truth is that men are often lured into affairs because they are sexually deprived at home. Oh my God. Help us with your people, Lord. Like I said, I'm just going to try to maintain some chill, but that is so infuriating and also patently false. Absolutely. I think every person who's listening right now can bring to mind a couple who went through the difficult situation of infidelity in their marriage and also know that it was not because I'm sure sometimes that's the case, but there are plenty, plenty of cases where infidelity happens in the midst of what the other partner thinks is a healthy and vibrant marriage. I just, I can't, it's so problematic, Rebecca. It is so problematic and it's so clearly problematic. It's like amazing that we didn't see it before. So once again, this is just a very icky message that men are not in control of their minds or their actions. It is not your partner's responsibility to keep you away from porn. So Mm -hmm. even if you are struggling with your marriage, it is your responsibility to stay faithful and to seek help. Yeah. Jesus is the key to freedom from sexual sin, not wives providing hand jobs during their period. (laughs) Put that on a t-shirt, please. Yes. Yeah. Put it on a bumper sticker. So Meg, throughout the great sex rescue, they sprinkle in all kinds of statistics based off of the survey that they conducted. Okay. And these stats show all the various ways that these teachings can have an effect on wives' sex lives. So here are some interesting statistics from women who report believing that frequent sex will prevent porn use. 18% are more likely to report being disinterested in sex. They are 37% more likely to have sex out of obligation. They are 24% less likely to orgasm reliably during sex, and they are 24% less likely to be confident they will be aroused during sex. Mm. So not only are they holding the responsibility for their husband's purity, but they are also having statistically less great sex. Yeah. Well, the numbers don't lie. I feel like that all tracks. If you are coming at the sexual aspect of your marriage from a perspective of obligation or infidelity prevention, how likely are you going to be that you're that into it? Like that is such an incredibly difficult mindset to even come to the experience with. So it makes sense that it doesn't end up being a sexually fulfilling encounter or that that's, you know, even enjoyable for both partners if one of them Mm -hmm. is 
simply trying to prevent the other person from straying in whatever way that looks like. Right. Yeah. Like you said, it makes me angry, but also makes me feel very, very sad. So what I want the awesomes to hear is you are not the cure for your husband's sexual sins. The key to overcoming a porn addiction requires owning your sexual sin without justifying it and taking practical steps to make withstanding the temptation easier. You are not the cure. Absolutely. 1000% agree. Okay. Well, that's difficult in terms of like, it's so sad to think about this burden that's been placed on women. I know that there is another aspect to this that you really want the awesomes to understand, especially because 99.9% of our audience is women. There's another point that you felt really passionate about sharing with our awesomes today. Yes. And that point is that you are worthy of female pleasure. So raise your hand if you have been taught that men have a higher libido than women. Oh, of course. That women should not deprive their husbands of sex. Sure. That sometimes the key to improving a marriage is to have more sex. Mm -hmm. I would say this is 100% a message I remember hearing. And I believed that my husband was going to want sex more than I would. Yeah. And that I should have sex with him, even if I don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. So the book does a fantastic job of addressing the many complexities that play a part in low libido and sexless marriage. So they touch on life stress, health concerns, them being sexual in nature and not past sexual trauma and not feeling emotionally safe with your relationship. But for the sake of just this conversation right here, I want to focus on one of the other major takeaways from the book. Okay. The need for female pleasure. So what if instead of hearing that sex was more important to men than it is to women, and therefore women should give in whether they're into it or not, we heard that arousal often starts differently for men and women. Mm -hmm. And therefore, foreplay is the key to a mutually sexually satisfying relationship. What if instead of telling women to give men more sex, men were told to give women better sex? Okay, I could get on board with that. Yes, that's the messaging we want. For sure. For sure. Yes. Now, I feel like this messaging is very awesome. It is a key point. One thing that we have learned as a sort of awesome team, as a community, we have talked about the book, Come As You Are, yes. for eons. Yep. Literally years. And yes. Yes. <laughs> Meg, can you do just like a little mini breakdown of what I mean when I say that arousal sometimes looks differently for men than yeah. it for women within the context of come as you are. Right. The most helpful piece for me and for so many of our awesomes and other readers of Dr. Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are is this concept of arousal in the metaphor of a gas pedal and a brake pedal and how there are so many factors that can cause you in terms of arousal to want to, you know, put on the gas pedal and like speed up and go, but that also sometimes there's these other factors that are slamming on the brakes. And often for women, especially as they're working through any kind of sexual issues, could be anything from as serious as like past traumas to could just be like, you know, the stress of life that all of us deal with is this managing of and understanding what it is that allows us to fully put on the gas pedal and to manage, deal with, work through the issues that are causing us to want to slam on the brakes. It really unlocks. I, I know I say this every time we talk about this book. <laughs> it's like the most important book a woman can read. And it comes at it from just women's sexuality in general. It is not faith-based. It is very just science-based. But it's so important because that is a key component that I never heard talked about in Christian circles, in faith-based circles when it comes to sex. The only thing that I ever heard was like some little 
saying like men are microwaves and women are slow cookers. Mm -hmm. Yes. And like, what are we supposed to do with that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that that's touching on this idea, too, of spontaneous arousal versus responsive arousal. Yes. Often the difference that we sometimes will see of men and women, men becoming just spontaneously aroused, just off the cuff, and women only becoming aroused in response to something. Therefore, taking a little longer to heat up. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think that book can help even if you think you are in a totally healthy place or if you are struggling I think that that book just helps you to understand your own body so much and understand your how the body and mind connection that is so strong with women that I do not feel like was ever addressed. Oh my gosh, as I was talking about this, <laughs> I just literally had a flashback. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Maybe later I'll cut it. I don't know. As I was saying this, I had a very vivid memory of going through some struggles after Daisy was born. So, you know, you get like the six weeks and then it's like, oh, you go for your six weeks appointment, all clear. I was having such a struggle with going from, here's my oldest child from being, and I was a full-time stay-at-home mom, being in total mommy mode. I'd had a major surgery. I have a newborn. She never slept. I was so stressed about that. I'm managing milk supply. And then suddenly I'm supposed to be able to be sexual again. And I was so stressed about it. And I talked to some friends of mine. We were all very much in this church group together that would read these kind of books and encourage each other in these ways. And I remember one of my friends being like, well, I've really found that it helps if you will just pray about it before you have sex, like pray that Jesus will help you be in the mood. And so like when I'm talking about this right now, that was the only advice I got. So I can remember specifically, I just had this complete flashback of being in the bathroom, like getting ready before having sex with my husband. And I'm going through all of this literal physical body trauma, not to mention the mental adjustment to becoming a mother and praying like, dear Jesus, please help me. (laughs) Please help me be in the mood so I can have sex. Uh (laughs) Okay, sorry, that was too much for you, Rebecca. But all of that to say that genuinely... I cannot remember any resource. Maybe it was out there and it just didn't come across my radar. I'm just saying I cannot remember any resource coming to me being like these struggles with arousal that you're having. It's normal. It's natural. And here are some ways that you can work with your body and your mind and like in a healthy way of helping me reconstruct other than just pray and ask Jesus to (laughs) help you get fired up. Oh, my word. I mean, there really are so many factors, so many factors that need to be aligned for a woman to experience arousal. Yes. Right. And so then going back to women just needing better sex Mm -hmm. in the study for the great sex rescue, women who infrequently orgasm were 57% more likely to report having a lower libido than their husbands and women who infrequently get aroused were 205% more likely to report having the lower libido. So Sheila says in the book, the root problem for many women then is not that they don't want sex enough. It is simply they don't have a reason to want it. Dadgum. Meg. says it pretty clearly. (laughs) Have you heard of the orgasm gap? (laughs) No, I haven't. Please tell me everything. Well, the orgasm gap is the percentage difference between men who always or almost always orgasm compared to women. So men statistically report 90% of them almost always or always orgasm compared to 48% of women. Wow. Yeah. So for marriages to have a thriving healthy sexual relationship, we need to close that gap. And for most women, the key is going to be foreplay. Mm -hmm. So awesomes, if you have never heard this before, listen carefully. Most women do not orgasm for penetrative vaginal intercourse alone. Foreplay isn't just the lead up for women. It is the main event and it needs to be prioritized. 
Mm-hmm. And I love how Sheila pushed against this idea that this flaw in female design isn't actually a flaw, but ponders that perhaps it was an intentional choice by God. Mm. And she says it this way. I love this part of the book. She said, God could have made women's bodies that we get maximum pleasure from intercourse, but he didn't. For women to feel pleasure, men have to slow down and think about their wives. Men have to learn to be unselfish if sex is going to work well for both partners. So often, the woman can feel she is doing most of the caretaking and serving her family, but God deliberately made our bodies so that if we are going to feel good during sex, men have to take time to serve women. Oh, wow. Okay. That's good news right there. I think just this concept of flipping this on its head, that you are not broken. Right. This is not a you problem, but instead, this is the way that sex was designed to be. Right. Yeah. He has unique needs and things that feel good to him. And you have unique needs and things that feel good to you. And you are worthy of both experiencing those together. And that is when the joy of a sexy, healthy relationship can really thrive. If those scales are unbalanced, you're not going to have the same thriving marriage that you could. And you deserve it. And so what I want the awesomes to hear is you are worthy of pleasure during sex. There might be many things that are standing in the way of this being a mutually fulfilling sex life with your partner. And we don't want to dismiss any of those things. Yeah, for sure. But if no one has ever said this to you, then please listen closely. Sex is not just for physical pleasure of men. Both men and women can and should feel physical, emotional, and consensual pleasure during sexual intimacy. Awesomes, you are worthy of this. Full stop. Amen and amen. Thank you for bringing the word, Rebecca. That is so good, so true, so powerful. And I really hope that it is speaking to our awesomes who are listening. I know it's speaking to me. I love hearing this. This is absolutely what so many women are craving hearing. And it is absolutely true. So thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. Well, and thank you, Sheila and the rest of her writing team, Rebecca and Joanna. This book really is doing quite a service, not just for women, but for men, for marriages. And again, I cannot speak highly enough of it. If any of this is triggering a sense in you of, wait, I think I need to hear more about that. This was just the tip of the iceberg. And I would highly encourage you to pick up a copy of her book. Sheila reads it in audio. I had an excellent audio experience. Oh, good. There's also some visuals, some charts and things that would be helpful perhaps to see in the print version if you'd rather have that. And just consider this conversation like the first step. I think if we are talking about improving marriage in general, I mean, good golly, it can be hard, right? Like it can be so daunting to think about if you're in a place where things don't feel great, you know, how to improve it. And then if you are talking about the sexual health of your marriage, oh, like how do you even start? Well, this is just the first step and taking just one step of recognizing the messaging that you're believing and perhaps challenging some of that is the first step on this journey. And I have all the faith in the awesomes that they can walk forward and find their pleasure and have some great sex. (laughs) Good. Go for it. Let's do it, girls. I am fully on board with this. And of course, as we've said multiple times, all of this is linked in the show notes for you guys to be able to go out and see what your next best right steps are for your sex life. So Rebecca, this was so good. If people want to come and find you to talk more about this topic or anything in the universe of Sort of Awesome, where can we find you all around the web? My website is simplyrebecca.com and you can find me anywhere on social media at simplyrebecca. I show up the most on Instagram. 
Okay. You can find me at Sorta Awesome Meg in all of the places you can find Sorta Awesome by searching Sorta Awesome wherever you are. We really, really would love to have you come and join us in social media communities, especially in the Hangout. And I'm interested to see what kind of conversation we have to follow up on this one, Rebecca, in the Hangout. You better be there. Don't just leave this to me. (laughs) (laughs) No, Rebecca will be there. She's always in the Hangout and in the Superstar Hangout. If you would like to become a Superstar Awesome so you can hear those back episodes, all the stuff you've been missing there. We have talked about marriage and sex many times before. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash sort of awesome and can be a superstar. So awesome. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.